You're listening to Welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here to discuss our April 2022 book club pick, Taste for Love by Jennifer Yen, a delicious rom-com about baking and, um, I guess, first love. Um, uh, first off, happy Eid or Aid to our Muslim listeners out there. And um, it's also Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Oh, my God. We have our own month. Yes. For those of <laughs> you who haven't been in the know for for all these years, you've been listening to this podcast. Yeah. And um, as is tradition, every month, the Books and Boba podcast releases, the Books and Boba book club releases a Asian book challenge where um, Rira puts together a couple book grids and challenges our listeners and our community to um, fill them up with books by Asian Asian American authors. And um, the first year we did a ABC challenge, right? That was the first year? No, that was the second one. The first one was our 31-day it was our th- 31 daily prompt oh, challenge. So each that. one had like a very specific category, like a book that shows mental illness with an Asian character. Um, and same thing with like, um, like I think there was like a superhero prompt in there somewhere. <laughs> it was very, very diverse. And I remember almost killing myself when I was making that that board because it was like my first time photoshopping to that like of an advanced (laughs) level Um, and our second year was the abc challenge um, and every day that you participated you posted a book that started with that alphabetical letter or an author whose name started with that alphabetical letter and this year We've themed it around two critically acclaimed movies by Asian diaspora and filmmakers, um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, and also Turning Red. And um, since this has been a year of movies about mother-daughter relationships, we had both Turning Red, Everything, Ever, All at Once, and Amma. We should have done an Amma <laughs> table. I haven't watched Amma. Actually, oh. I haven't watched Turning Red either. I, I am <laughs> oh, <no>. a... <laughs> I am a hypocrite, although I did watch a lot of clips from it. Um, it's just because they had a lot of triggers and I didn't really want to put myself <laughs> in all of the, um, I guess, like, the mama trauma cringe too much for moments. You, right? <laughs> and I was like, I like I can't handle it. I'll I'll read about it. I'll watch a lot of scenes, but I don't think I can sit through this in a in a 90 minute sit in your chair and just like watch the thing from beginning to end. Instead, we decided to read about it in a 300 plus book uh, with tons of cringe moments. Uh, I don't think there were <laughs> that many cringe moments, to be honest. So yeah, the 2022 Asian Book Challenge is out. Um, there's no real set way to do it. Um, I think some people, some of our author friends have already filled out their tables. Um, Riru, and I, Riru and I will be doing, we'll, we'll be trading off every other day. Riru will be taking their turning red table. 
I'll be taking the everything ever all at once table and that'll give us what 18 days of content. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like Marvin said, you don't have to fill out the entire board. You can also play bingo with books that you are currently reading. You can also uh, pick books that you plan to read in the near future. You don't have to put too much pressure on yourself. <laughs> this is supposed to be a challenge that... Um, that's supposed to be fun and promote Asian creators. Yeah. So don't take it too seriously. Yeah. So, you know, if anything, I want to discover new books through your challenges. So that's kind of the ulterior motive is to just get more Asian authors out there into the the Tesla Twitterverse. Oh, yeah, that happened. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, man. Well, okay, well, yeah, back to we don't want to we don't want to like, yeah, we want to be positive. We don't want to <laughs> go into that dark yeah. Dark tunnel. All right, let's get to our book club discussion. So, again, the book is A Taste for Love by Jennifer Yen. Um, from this point onwards, we will be discussing the book in its entirety. So, everything is on the table. Um, so, there will be plot spoilers if you have not read the book yet. So, if you care about that stuff, uh, you don't want to get spoiled. Uh, stop listening now and go read the book. It's a pretty fun read. And then come back and listen to us talk about it. Uh, yeah. So, Rira, why don't you start us off with the um, the summary? All right. So, A Taste for Love is a YA contemporary rom-com that follows high school senior Liza Yang. And uh, her family runs this bakery called the Yin and Yang Bakery and Restaurant, which is kind of like her mom's business, which is a bakery, and her father, who is a chef of the restaurant. And they kind of share their own venue space. And um, her mom wants her to date an Asian guy. But uh, Liza is not really keen on her mother's meddling ways and all of the guys that she tries to set Liza with are kind of uh, not, not to her taste, let's just say that. So pretty much what happens is Liza agrees to help out at her mom's annual baking junior competition. Um, and Liza wants to prove to her mom that she's, you know, She's serious about baking because that's her passion. And her mom surprisingly says, okay, yeah, you can be a technical judge for the baking competition. But once the competition happens, it turns out that all of the bakers are eligible Asian bachelors that her mom wants to set her up with. So that's pretty much the premise. Yeah. So I am a dum-dum and did not realize that this was a Pride and Prejudice adaptation until probably a third of the way through the book. Oh, same here. I did not know that it was a retelling. <laughs> I am a dum-dum because the book literally starts with It is a Truth Universally Known, which I thought, oh, that's a cute, you know, reference Yeah, I thought to it was like Pride a cute reference. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this is really cute. And Totally ignoring um, the fact that the main character's name is Liza. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and also when James, the Mr. Darcy in this book, shows up, I'm like, wow, he's very Mr. Darcy, very what a awkward. Rude boy, and, right? <laughs> yeah, very broody. And it, was, and it was like, oh, okay, it's kind of like Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. And then a quarter yeah. of the way through, I'm like, oh, it is Pride and Prejudice. So let us let let us confirm. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. When did you realize? Because I realized during that meet cute scene in the Tovo House when they meet Ben, which is the Bingley character. When I realized, hold on a second, that's Bingley. 
Grace is Jane. This is Pride and Prejudice. I think it was around the same time for me as well. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess like with the premise, it, it kind of threw me off because it was a great British bake-off type of scenario <laughs> yeah. meets The Bachelorette. So I thought that it was just an original story where we're going to see all of these bachelors and see her interact with each boy. But it turns out that the first quarter of the book, the baking competition doesn't come until later. It I mean, the baking competition focuses... comes in like halfway through. Too. I was surprised at that because yeah, it was such yeah. a big part of the premise. Uh, but yeah, so... It's funny because I, I'm i on record for having never read Austin. We never read it in high school. I've never read a Pride and Prejudice. I've never watched like a real Pride and Prejudice adaptation. Um, I've seen the Zombies version, which doesn't count. But I have not seen the BBC or the um, the Joe Wright, Keira Knightley version. And, you know, we'll never read Austin on this podcast. But I think we've read our fair share of Pride and Prejudice inspired stories through um, Asian American authors, right? <laughs> Yeah, um, I actually read Pride and Prejudice not that long ago, <laughs> and it still holds up. There's a reason why it it's being adapted over and over again, other than the fact that it's like public domain. <laughs> I mean, that's what I hear. But like, you know, my my bandwidth right now is totally consumed by reading Asian authors, and I don't think I have time to read you know a white lady, even though she's very good apparently, and ahead of her time from all accounts. Um, yeah, but like, what I really liked about this rom com, though, it's not. Like, even though it's a rom-com and there's a lot of chemistry between Liza and James, this was very much a story about a mother and daughter. Speaking of mother-daughter <laughs> relationships from our Asian Books Challenge. Yeah. And I really like the dynamic between uh, Liza and Mrs. Yang. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see, I mean, I've read a couple Goodreads reviews and a lot of them are very critical of the mother. Which, you know, um, stories about immigrant mother-daughter uh, mama trauma, as we like to call it, um, stories tend to characterize the mother in a bad light because you're seeing from the perspective of the daughter who's being like, you know, um, I guess oppressed by her mother's um, conservative Asian values. But the crux of these stories is kind of that reconciliation. And I think they did this pretty well in this book. We're having the mother kind of slowly come around, but not really, because we, as, as we both know, or as we all know, as Asian Americans, um, not to paint a broad brush over our experiences, but um, true reconciliation almost never happens. All you can really hope for is a better understanding of each other, right? I mean, but isn't that a form of reconciliation? <laughs> Just compromising? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the fact that Mrs. Yang wasn't demonized. I actually think that Liza's parents are not that conservative. They're actually not that strict. I found them to be pretty normal uh, high school parents, you know, with curfews and, you know, making sure that uh, their daughter is able to put college first. But at the same time, they're like, hey, you like baking? We're going to enter you in baking competitions and I mean, I think kind of like <laughs> nurture that side of her. And like, the fact that she spends time with her mom in the kitchen as well, like it's interesting. That's true. But I mean, I feel like they use cooking competitions the same way other parents use violin lessons and piano lessons. Oh, yeah, 100%. But, <laughs> you know, like I don't get to see a lot of mother-daughter activities, you know, a lot of immigrant stories are about like the parents overworking and like them never being home. 
I mean, I guess it helps that their bakery is also like part of their home, <laughs> but it's it's like they spend time together. They watch Chinese dramas together and even though there is this friction between her mom and uh, Liza, there is this understanding of like, okay, you want the best for me. And, you know, I don't think you're, <laughs> you understand like what you want for me is technically what I think is best for me, but we're going to reach a compromise. There is respect there, which is different from being oppressed and <laughs> abused by your immigrant parents. That's true. And isn't that the crux of stories like this, which is like the daughter, the children and the parents are essentially the same person. They're both super stubborn. They both don't listen to completely to what the other says. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the crux of like a Pride and Purchase story too, right? It's just um, the Lizzie character is just as like prejudiced as the Darcy's, right? Yeah. I mean, they're both very stubborn and they both misjudge each other and it like pride and prejudice is about people who want to be more than what they seem and appear to society and you definitely see that in this book as well all of the characters kind of want to be more than what the public perceives them to be yeah uh so let's talk about the character so what did you think about our main character Liza? I really liked Liza. She was super funny. There were parts in the book where I would just like cackle at her internal monologue. Um, I thought it was just, there's a scene that I found really, really funny and relatable. Um, it's a scene, it's it's in the very, it's, it's very early on in the book where she gets tricked into being uh, at dinner with her aunt and like she kind of gets set up in like a very abrupt way. Was this the one where, um, what's his face? Roland gets introduced, right? Yeah, Roland. And the aunt is like just putting on like the full, I know what's best auntie treatment. Like, I don't even need to be tactful. You will thank me later for sending me you up with this like very, very like, like I, I was spending that scene trying to figure out if Roland was also doing this on purpose because... No way. As like, no as a... Way. You know, like eldest born child of Asian immigrants, like the idea of acting like that in front of elders is mortifying, right? Like you're you're trained to be on your best behavior in front of like people you're meeting for the first time. Yeah, but that's if you're a good person, Mark. (laughs) I, I just found that scene to be so funny because before Roland shows up, the aunt is saying, oh, American boys, they don't know how to respect their elders. Chinese boys are much better and, you know, more respectful, more successful, blah, 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 blah. And here comes Roland and he is serving himself rice before everyone else. He doesn't even serve other people. He just puts the rice scooper back into the um, the rice bowl. And he also puts vegetables back into the communal dishes and i'm like oh man that is that is a big no-no everybody's horrified and i I, like i just loved it because there have been like i i've found those situations in in my i found myself in those situations in real life where (laughs) (laughs) where like my parents would be like oh this person is like you know, would be a good match for you. And then I'm like, oh, they're actually terrible people. 
And you're just willing to gloss over that just because we share the same background. And that's that's not enough. It really isn't. I know. It's like, are you seeing the same thing I'm seeing? (laughs) Or did we enter some sort of alternate universe? Because I remember that scene because it starts off with Liza trying to figure out how she can mess things up and like turn up his parents. And it's just, oh, no, it's fine. He's doing the work for me. Yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah, like you said, Roland doesn't go away. He's like a specter in the background of the entire book. Like, we're going to set you up with this guy. You better come back. We don't care if he's trash. The desperation of her mom being like, oh, she needs to find a boyfriend now so that she can get married at a reasonable age and have babies. Because if she waits until college, it's way too late. And... I just thought that was very relatable as well, um, which is like very funny to me because I had that rule. Actually, it's it's really relatable because I feel like a lot of Asian parents have the same, I guess, rule of don't date in high school. And if you're going to date, it has to be an Asian person. And yeah, pretty much like you can date in college, but they have to be Asian people. I don't know. I know plenty of people who also weren't allowed to date in college, neither. Really? Not dating in college? Isn't that, like, where the marriage mart is? No, I had had some friends who were under their parents' thumb throughout until they graduated college. Basically, you're not allowed anything to distract you from getting that bachelor's degree. How do they expect them to get married? Like, I'm saying this from, like, a... Well, also, they were sons. Maybe that was the difference. Oh, so... Okay, yeah, because girls, God forbid, (laughs) if we are single by the time we are like 19, then it's like, yeah, hey, you have to you have to have (laughs) babies by the time you're 23. And it's like, no, I did love that um, Mrs. Yang's meddling her, you know, her setups always backfired, especially in the baking competition. It's like this contradiction, right? Like you mentioned, she's so desperate. She's willing to sabotage her own like pride and joy, which is her baking competition, just to set um, Liza up with a acceptable mate and ends up like filling her, by all accounts, prestigious baking competition with a bunch of people who just embarrass themselves, right? <laughs> yeah, like some of my favorite scenes were the challenges that they did during the baking competition (laughs) and just like how badly some of the contestants messed up. And I was just like, how did they pass the preliminary? And it's totally because they did the check mark. They ticked the boxes. (laughs) And like some of them didn't actually (laughs) tick the boxes because their moms filled out the applications for them. And it turns out that like half the things that were on their application were lies. Yeah, and that's because, um, I know we're jumping around here, but so Liza, through the story, is seen as someone who has a passion for baking, but is being forced to go into like a more practical field by her well-meaning parents. And she convinces her mom to let her be a part of this baking competition. She wants to compete first, and then her mom talks her into judging because her ulterior motive is to do this baking competition um, scam to get her a boyfriend. And to that end, she makes one of the prizes, five private um, baking lessons to the winner, um, not letting her know that she 
is the one that's supposed to be giving those lessons. So essentially, she is the prize. And in the flyers that go out to the entire community, um, she includes basically her personal stats in the flyer. Yeah, that was pretty funny. It was like your mom writing your dating profile on Tinder. But it's like old school on flyers. Actually, that reminded me of, I remember I read an article a while back and um, it was like these moms in China where they would Oh, the marriage their, market. Yes, I've been yeah, there. Yeah, the marriage market with like the umbrellas and like they have like uh, their children's dating profile and all of their educational backgrounds. But no pictures. But no pictures. No yeah, pictures. That- and the, so the way it works is the people shopping at this marriage mark, which is this park in Shanghai, it's just parents there. No one actually involved in the dating is there. It's, it's just deals between parents, like hooking their children up. And it is wild. No, and it's interesting, like what they um, focus on, right? Sometimes it's like very prominently, knows how to cook, is very respectful. And the bottom, like, you know, is very talented in other things, <laughs> successful in their career, blah, blah, blah. And of course, like a lot of these um, dating situations that our parents try to cook up for their children it's rooted in patriarchy and misogyny yeah because they're like i want a woman to be able to cook and have babies and take care of like take (laughs) care of the family and the guy is just meant to make money and that's that's all of their value and it's but (laughs) i i bring that up because um Jennifer Yen actually in an interview said that she was inspired to write this because back in 2019, she read an article about an older woman roaming around a college campus telling random students to date her daughter. (laughs) And when she read that, she was like, oh, it's definitely an Asian mom because... There's like no way it, it it couldn't be anybody else. And sure enough, it was like an Asian mom <laughs> trying to get her daughter to to date someone. And and that's how like this idea got cooked up for <laughs> for for the book. And I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so Liza also has an older sister who is a golden child. She is very, you know, pleasant to look at. She is everything that. Liza is not. And I was really glad to see that they actually had a really good relationship because, you know, I was expecting them to just like hate each other for some reason, you know? Yeah. I mean, when you have two sisters and one of them is a model and a valedictorian (laughs) and, you know, you're constantly being compared to your older sibling, I can see how that can breed resentment. But it was really nice, like you said, to see that they got along And they kind of understood each other when it comes to, like, their mom and the comparisons. And, you know, I loved how they covered for each other. It was was very fun to read. Although, once I keyed in on the Pride and um, Prejudice-ness of the story, you can automatically tell who the Wiccan was going to be. And I was like, no. Oh, yeah. It was like a huge red flag. (laughs) Yeah. Don't push your sister to the Wiccan. uh, Speaking of Wickham, so let's talk about the guys, right? So James is the love interest in the story. He is obviously the Darcy because he is a rude boy. I will take this opportunity to ask you, I wonder, if, are you a fan of the Darcy archetype? And B, what is it about uh, it that people love? Because I'm still trying to figure okay, that out. Okay, what is it that people love? I think people really like the reserved broody type because it's like, 
oh, you have to get to know them. And they're like really soft inside, you know? So the fact that like they're paying attention to you, it's like, oh, wow, like I feel special because because it gives me a chance to like get to know their softer side. Um, And also like a lot of these broody male love interests, they're like men of action. Like they actually mean what they say. And, you know, when they want something, they go after it. So that can be a very admirable, attractive trait for a lot of readers. Um, But like for me, like I don't really have that much of a preference. I mean, I do like um, I do like male love interests that are like more on like the quiet side. Uh, because I feel like, I feel like, you know, for a lot of love interests, it's like the, like very like alpha male type. And I was like, I don't know. I, sometimes I like the, the soft boy that's like very quiet and shy and sometimes can come off as rude because they're shy and they don't want to communicate, which is an awkward, uh, which is kind of like Joe Wright's, uh, interpretation of Darcy with the Kira Knightley film, because I, Mr. Darcy in that is just. Like, oh, wow, he's very smitten with Elizabeth, but he's also, like, very bad at communication. <laughs> and he is very much, like, bad at just any social interaction. I guess, yeah. I mean, reading the book, definitely someone who is kind of just rude or blunt is surprisingly not a red flag as opposed to, like, the Nathan character who was super nice and sweet. I'm like, this guy is shady. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess so. <laughs> Um, I feel like I am very much a Mr. Darcy type of personality because I am very blunt. (laughs) And a lot of people think that I am rude because I am blunt. Mm. I've gotten much better at masking a lot of my (laughs) a lot of my rudeness. Um, When I was younger, I I did not have a filter and it would come out wrong. But now I am some. Uh, now I'm an adult and I have more tact and <laughs> more consideration for other people's feelings and um, learned how to be more outgoing because the world is not kind to introverts like me. You have to learn how to be an extrovert. Although I feel like these days it's a little better because everyone's forgotten how to socialize. Um, we've all gone almost two, three years without any real human interaction. I did like James. He... He played his role well. And I was like, I think this is the this is the issue with adaptations is that you kind of know the story beats coming. So you know that he's gonna mess things up for Grace and Ben at some point. And I'm like, oh, I'm not looking forward to that part, but I know it's gonna happen. Yeah, but the way the reason why he goes out of his way to like get them split up was very refreshing in my opinion (laughs) when it comes to Pride and Prejudice adaptations because it came from not like because like when James said that he had a younger sister I thought it was like the original Pride and Prejudice where uh, the Wickham character um, Nathan went after uh, James's younger sister and did some sketch things (laughs) But it turned out to be like Ben, uh, he blamed Ben for a drunk driving incident and he blames Ben and James for um, his inability to book modeling gigs. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like, (laughs) this is very different from what (laughs) I expected from a Pride and Prejudice retelling. Yeah. 
any thoughts on the other side characters? Well, ben, Grace, um, I, I like them. They were nice. <laughs> yes, that's because that's their character. I I really like the fact that this book showed a very wide range of Taiwanese Americans, mm-hmm. of Asian Americans in general, because you have working class Asian Americans, 1.5 generation, because Liza wasn't born in America. She immigrated when she was younger. And you have Grace, who is second generation. Both of her parents were American born or, you know, they grew up in the States for a very, very long time. And then you have like James's family and Ben's family. They're both very well off. And I don't know, like it's it's really (laughs) nice that you get these diverse representations within the Taiwanese-American diaspora. Yeah. I mean, the story takes place in Houston, right, as well? And yeah, I was surprised about that too. I was like, oh, wow, Southern Asians, like, don't really see you guys that often. I mean, Houston is a good place to set it because Houston, um, in some polls, is the most diverse city in the entire nation. So um, there's going to be a lot of, you know, a lot of different cultures and obviously a Taiwanese Chinese enclave totally exists there as well. Um, what did you think about Sarah? Um, I thought. She was a fun character. She It reminds me of when I was living in D.C. and I had to play like cultural Sherpa to, you know, my white classmates. in that situation, though. <laughs> yeah. I thought Sarah was a very endearing character. And um, I'm really glad that Jennifer put her in because you can tell that Sarah is not saying these like semi-racist things because, you know, she has bad intentions. Uh, she's just ignorant. She just came from uh, northern Texas where there's not a lot of Asian people. And uh, she's willing to learn and she's willing to apologize. And I just felt like that was refreshing to see because you see Liza and Grace be actually patient and (laughs) see that like they're not lashing out and there is more progress by like teaching Sarah uh, what it means to be an ally to uh, Asian Americans. So I really liked Sarah. Yeah. And I really liked the fact that she got together with Edward, one of the contestants. <laughs> and I thought it was really funny because Edward entered the competition because his mom was like, you need to date an Asian girl. And he's like, I don't want to. He was the one being coached by Mrs. Yang, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that his mom entered him into a competition so that he would date an Asian girl, but he ended up dating a white girl. You know, that's a theme in this book. Um, all of the parents' plans go awry. You know, Mrs. Yang, Mrs. Lee, um, Edward's mom, I forgot her last gal. Was it Mrs. Gal or was that someone else? No, Mrs. Gal was the one with the son that threw a tantrum, right? I don't know. There's so many of them. I don't remember. Uh, okay, so we've gone... Um, a good 40 minutes without talking about the central, I guess, set piece of the story, which is the baking competition, which, you know, as someone who's watched several seasons of The Great British Bake Off, I was familiar with the touchstones. And I know, Rira, you're a fan as well. So I, I am wondering, like, if maybe one of our club members can let us know if you don't have that the kind of background knowledge, how did this work for you? Because, you know, to me, everything was familiar, but like, you know, I came in with pre-existing knowledge. I feel like all baking and cooking shows are pretty much the same. (laughs) (laughs) If you watched one, you've watched all of them. Mm. So I don't, I don't think it was difficult for people to get the rules. 
I did like the fact that it was so similar to Great British Bake Off and that was on purpose because uh, Liza binged it with her mom. (laughs) And I just love the fact that her mom was like, yeah, let's have a baking competition. Um, Like, let's give back to the community and have it be a way to fund scholarships. Yeah. Uh, And have all the challenges be like Asian pastries, which is great because as we know, Paul Hollywood hates Asian pastries. Yeah, like that's <laughs> one thing I really didn't like about the Great British Bake Off. Like every time someone made a cake or cookie with matcha in it, they're like, oh, it tastes like grass. I don't like it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. You're racist. Whatever. Yeah. Because they would always give them a bad score. And it's like, it's not their fault that you don't like Matcha. So in my head canon, this is Jennifer Yen giving the middle finger to Paul Hollywood saying, F you, Asian flavors are awesome. I did eat a lot of cookies while I was reading this book. <laughs> it was yeah, it was great. It was pretty good. The competition scenes are probably the funniest scenes in the book just because of the just total implosion of all of the contestants that weren't named Ben, James, or Sammy. Yeah, what, what a cast. <laughs> I like okay, so we we didn't talk about uh, Mrs. Lee, who is the celebrity judge for the competition, who also happens to be the new rival um, in town. And <laughs> I don't know if you thought this, but I was like, oh, like Mrs. Lee is definitely the founder of eighty five, like a lot, like of like a large. Taiwanese American bakery chain, whereas like the Yang family, they're you know they're like, like your pop. local mom and pop shops that have been around for a long time. I guess um, I'd say probably Ding Tai Fung would probably be a better example. I was, uh, but like in terms of like pastry, yeah, okay, like I guess that's that's where like my brain went when I was reading it, and I was it's, like. Yeah. I think it's no, I think it's more Panda Express is probably the better, like the Panda Express family, because it's I think her empire is specifically in the States. Because 85 Degrees C is a Taiwanese company that came over. And it's funny because we know 85 Degrees C here in like in California as like these big bakeries, they have big storefronts, and you know, there's lines out the door. In Taiwan, they're tiny little kiosks. They're not even like the biggest one in Taiwan. Oh, I didn't they're know that. They're actually more really cool. popular out here than back in back home. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um Yeah, there's something about like just reading all of the Asian desserts, it kind of brought a lot of nostalgia to me <laughs> because Asian bread is like very different from Western bakeries. And you know, some of my earliest memories is going after school to like Paris Baguette and getting like a Soboro bread or a red bean bun yeah. and some like coffee or milk. Yes, and, I drank coffee when I was like 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and and like milk bread is such like a ubiquitous thing, right? Back when we were young, like toast was milk bread. It wasn't like, you know, Wonder Bread or anything. Milk bread was our white bread. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, now it's, like, so commonplace, you know? <laughs> like, I remember growing up and people being like, what are you eating? We say that now, but also keep in mind, listeners, we live in the bubble that is the 626, the San Gabriel Valley. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's as commonplace if you leave the bubble, like the Asian American bubble that we're in. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, one of my like one of the scenes that I really liked was with Sarah actually when she goes to Boba Life for the first time and try Boba for the first time and she's like, "Oh, is this like the Starbucks for your people?" <laughs> <laughs> and Grace and Liza are like, "Ah, oh, I mean, they do have coffee flavored things, but it's mostly tea." And uh, her at first being very apprehensive about Boba, thinking like, "Oh, that's gross." And then Liza being like, well, why don't you try it? (laughs) And being like very, I guess, like welcoming rather than being like, oh, you're a terrible person. You're racist. Canceled forever. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Liza, it's it's good to see that they weren't being gatekeepers, right? They wanted to spread the love. And that's kind of, she wants to be a baker. She wants to introduce new things to the world. So it's to her character that she's not like very like no you're not allowed to eat this because you're not one of us and as an asian person let me just say this i don't really like boba all that much yeah no i think (laughs) so i'm waiting to see like so i need like the because when i was in high school i also loved boba but at some point i started just wanting the tea right like the boba was just getting away of what it came here to do which is drink the tea um which I haven't seen represented yet in Asian American literature, um, but I think eventually we'll get there. At some point, we'll, I'll see someone reflecting that experience back to me. Um, I know this is blasphemous for two people who uh, have a podcast called Books and Boba, but as we mentioned before, the Boba is a signifier of Asianness, not an endorsement of Boba. But I do like the fact that Boba was such a big part of this book. I thought it was very on brand. Yeah. For us. Yeah, for sure. By the way, what is your go-to boba order? Right now, it's the Sunrite Hokkaido milk tea um, with grass jelly. Hokkaido milk tea is always good. That's mm. like a really good, like, basic drink to yeah. get at any boba shop and see if their tea quality is, like, up to par. How about you, Rira? My, my go-to used to be, like, brown sugar milk tea, but uh, lately, I've just been getting tea and not any milk in it so i'll like switch things up from time to time i'll drink like straight up oolong tea or some kind of fruit tea uh, yeah so that's, are, you, are you like a jasmine or are you a oolong person um i'm actually more of a black tea person oh. but usually if i get something with boba i mean i don't get boba in my tea at all but like usually when i go to a, like a boba shop i don't get the black tea because I think if you're drinking like straight up tea, um, kind of a more of a jelly probably works more like a like a jasmine jelly or like a, one of those agar bulbas, like the more like um, jellyish bulbas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it like I like to experiment with uh, like their syrups as well. Mm. So if they're able to like add in flavored, <laughs> uh, like artificial flavored fruits into their tea, like I'll mix it with black tea but usually when i go it's like oolong or jasmine green tea did you know that oolong jasmine black tea they're all the same leaves oh they are Mm -hmm. well it's just one tea leaf that they prepare differently well they taste all differently (laughs) so that makes sense anyways this has been your boba tea talk for the first time in five years i feel like this is the first time we've actually had an extended discussion on intricacies of boba tea on this podcast um congratulations listeners uh what did you think about james actually being 
like a top tier baker. That was a surprise to me. I mean, I was like, of course he was because he's the Darcy and he's good at everything. I mean, Darcy is not good at everything. I mean, that's, that's, that's my not perception a of, trait. of Darcy. Just that's know. a James trait because he went to some <laughs> elite school and he comes from a rich family and he seems to be a perfectionist and everything. So it makes sense that he would be good at baking because baking is very precise. <laughs> Then what about Ben? Oh, Ben. What a cinnamon roll. I love Ben. Yeah, but he's not a perfectionist um, and he's really good at baking too. He's really good at baking. Yeah. I guess it runs in the family somehow. <laughs> I did like Ben. Um, I Another of my favorite scenes is during that first encounter in that Korean tofu house when the entire restaurant discovered that he was pre-med. And yeah, then- and like all the mamas are just like, oh, <laughs> possible match. Yeah. Thought that was really funny too and i mean like parents put so much emphasis on majors but the thing is you go to college and you can change your major you can have a degree and not use it at all <laughs> yeah so saying like oh this person is pre-med so they're definitely bound for success and they're definitely husband material very premature to say that especially <laughs> when your sons and daughters are 19, 20 years old. Yeah. Uh, I really liked the third act of uh, Jennifer Yen's book because because there is a baking competition. I don't know. Like the stakes are so high. And throughout the book, there's like hints of sabotage. So there's a little bit of mystery involved. So I really liked how that was implemented into her retelling because that's completely new yeah i mean we all knew it was nathan right of course like who (laughs) else was it gonna be Um, but i was surprised at um janine uh liza's sister because in in the original pride and prejudice uh lydia is lydia marries wickham and you know yeah, they, that would have been gross if that was how it happened in, in this story. Yeah, like I was worried that there would be like a rift, you know? I mean, for a brief moment, you do have that friction where the sister's like, are you sure that, Gr- are you sure Grace isn't lying? Like, I, like James really hates Nathan. And like, I was a little bit worried, but I did like the fact that there was tension and conflict. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like that tension was actually really well done because I mean I know plenty of families who don't talk to each other anymore because of similar things like certain sons did something to someone else or someone thinks like some imagined slight against their their families and yeah Asians can hold grudges for a very long time yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I really like the fact that Janine the golden child turns out to have problems of her own like this glamorous modeling job that she has, like she hasn't been booking jobs. Uh, the apartment that she's living in, the the brownstone that she's temporarily living in, like she's about to be kicked out and she's going to be homeless. And it's nice to see that someone who is considered the golden girl, it, it turns out that she has flaws and, you know, she envies her younger sister. And I just thought that that was... Uh, like that was like a different representation of like the overachieving Asian child, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. And I was glad to see the winner of the competition be Sammy, the guy who was just happy to be there. 
Yeah, the guy who like was like, I'm here so I can cook my granny's bread recipe and show the world how great her baking is. And it was just, he was a good boy. Yeah. He was there for the right reason. <laughs> All right. So um, any final thoughts on Taste for Love? Uh, brief note, Grace is bisexual and I really love the fact that it is very clear that she's bi and her parents are pretty cool with it. And it was just nice to have that representation in Asian American diaspora. Yeah, and the fact that it was just a part of a character or not like dwelled on or like a big like conflict point. It was just, oh yeah, that time you dated a Christine. Um, I enjoyed this book. I um, definitely added to the list of non-Pride and Prejudices I've read instead of Pride and Prejudice, um, which now is, I think, three or four. Um, yeah, I really like the chemistry between James and uh, Liza. I like the fact that it's not full enemies to lovers. It's more like dislike to lovers. Because <laughs> I don't think they like straight up hate each other in the beginning, which was nice. And I like their meet cute. I like the fact that... Uh, Liza is clumsy and got into all of these K-drama situations where James is catching her. Like, it's very, it's very romantic. Um, I just liked the trajectory of their relationship. I liked uh, the misunderstandings and how um, a lot of the conflict was actually, like, family-based. And, <laughs> like, it just seemed more serious than... Uh, I guess, like, the original Pride and Prejudice, although if you take it into context of when it was published, yeah, like, scandal is really bad. It can ruin <laughs> your entire life. But, you know, I I like the switch up with uh, Nathan and Ben and having, like, the DUI incident and having his modeling gigs being canceled and a lot of, like, that family tension. I thought that was, like, a really refreshing twist. Um but my favorite part of this book was definitely the mother-daughter relationship. I just love the fact that the mom wasn't demonized. There were, there was love and respect there. And um, I like the fact that they reached a compromise at the very end. Like Liza goes to college, but she is able to publish her recipe book. She's able to experiment and... Yeah, I think that's the closest you can get to reconciliation with <laughs> Asian families. Yeah. Compromise. The mom did do some messed up things, though. I mean, yeah. Compromising like, your own um, very baking important contest. baking contest to set your daughter up is. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's going a little far, I feel like. Parents who want to set up their children, they will they will go the extra mile. Yeah. I wonder since um, since Liza did end up with James, will her mom take credit for that? Probably, right? Oh, no. 100% <laughs> she took credit for that. That was one of the reasons Liza didn't want to admit that she was dating James. Because she didn't want to give her mom the satisfaction. <laughs> which I totally understand. Yeah. All right. Well, let us know what you thought about Taste for Love on our Goodreads forums. Um, we always love to hear what our listeners think about our book picks as well. Um, and yeah, thanks to Jennifer for writing such a fun read. That'll do it for our discussion of our April 2022 book club pick. Um, Rira, tell us what we're reading for the month of May. 
So for May, we are reading Portrait of a Thief by Grace D. Lee. Uh, this is a brand new book, and it hit the New York Times bestsellers list. And it's about five Chinese American students who pretty much plan a heist to loot Chinese art from an American museum and try to return it to its original place in China. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of like Ocean's Eleven in a way. I love heist movies, heist books. Yeah, let's celebrate Heritage Month by taking back a piece of our heritage. Yes. <laughs> um, the book is available <laughs> at booksellers everywhere. It's available on our bookshop as well, but I did just check and I think they're out of stock of the hardcover, but you can still get the ebook if you want. And that's probably the most cost-effective way to get this book for now. Um, and yeah, no, I'm excited to um, check this book out. Um, it's been, um, I think we've mentioned before, it's also been optioned as a film. So it's, you know, it's going to be another one of those books where we'll be one of those annoying people who go, oh, well, you know, we read the book first. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I've never been like that. Mm, just wait. Usually it's like, usually for me, it's like, oh, I read the book and the book is better. Mm. I never say, oh, I read the book first and brag <laughs> about that. Oh man, I can't wait for our discussion on Pachinko. Oh, I still need to watch it. I was supposed to watch it this weekend, but then I got caught up in things. But <laughs> it's on my it's on my TBR. Something to look for. TB, TB, TBW, TBW to be watched. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of Books and Boba. Um, happy Heritage Month. And we'll see y'all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Mi Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian-American-hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.